This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, October 5th, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, examining Arkansas accents. Everybody has an accent because everyone is from somewhere and you don't have to sound a certain way to be smart. Plus, the history and near future of how to sustain a growing region. It was focused on getting an airport and getting an interstate highway, which they succeeded in and led to the growth we're coming now. Now the focus is on things like affordable housing. And the latest edition of Sound Perimeter is inspired by traditional Venezuelan music. First, this hour's news from NPR. Community Creative Center presents Pottery on the Patio this Saturday, October 7, 3.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Walton Arts Center's Nadine Baum Studio. It features pottery wheel and watercolor sessions. Guests can enjoy complimentary ice cream, live music from Funk Factory, and hands-on art activities. More at communitycreativecenter.org. Support comes from Carmelita's Modern Mexican Cuisine at 7022 West Sunset Avenue, Suite 5 in Springdale. Serving authentic Northern Mexican and Southern California lunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., Modern Mexican Dinner 5 to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. More at carmelitasnwa.com. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, one of 40 schools featured in Colleges That Changed Lives by author Lauren Pope. Hendricks is nationally recognized among private liberal arts colleges for academic quality, engaged learning, and value. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, October 5th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Ahead on today's show, how to critically read and review books. Fresh Air's Maureen Corrigan discusses the craft of reading books for a living and how she keeps up with the constant flow of books waiting to be reviewed. That's in our second half hour. First today, we talk about how we talk. A new documentary short film about Arkansas accents and dialects will be screened this fall at film festivals in both Fayetteville and Little Rock. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich first interviewed Ben Corbett, an assistant professor of voice and acting in the UA Theater Department and the filmmaker behind the Arkansas Accent Project four years ago when he first began working on it. He recently returned to her studio to talk about the film and his research. The mission of the Arkansas Accent Project is to bring uh, space and light to the various accents around the state, hopefully from every county in this state. I also want to explore what are the different accents of the state and can they all be considered native? Ben Corbett, along with producer Ringo Jones and cinematographer Cameron Mosier, traveled the state recording over 100 Arkansans for a film project on Arkansas accents. And we went uh, from Eureka Springs all the way out to West Helena and talked with different people uh, uh, for like two hours, just learning more about them and would they be willing to be in a movie. And um, I was very thankful that people would let us into their homes. And what got me was talking with people, what do you think about your accent? And hearing people say, I love it. Or, oh, I hate it. Or, you know, I've never thought about it before. Let me think about it. Which led to more questions. What's it like to be a Southerner? What's it like to hear the word hillbilly? Do you like that term or is that offensive? Um, what's, can you describe the accent of your family? What voices did you hear when you're coming up? 
is there something you wish you could tell the world about Arkansas? And uh, when is a time when you really had to make your accent thicker? And what happened? And I wanted to look at how are people's identity wrapped up and where they're from. Corbett says accents are embedded in dialects. The difference between an accent and dialect is an accent deals with changes to vowels, consonants, and diphthongs. For example, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my uh, ancestors come from Ada, Oklahoma. So when they say hi, they say ha or howdy as opposed to howdy. And that is an example of a southeastern Oklahoma accent. But a dialect has to do with word choices. So, for example, uh, a dialect could be, boy, that dog just won't hunt. Or, um, goodness gracious, as you'll hear in my documentary. Or, well, I'm as full as a tick. Those are phrases that are specific to a region. As exemplified in the trailer for the Arkansas Accent Project documentary. I think my accent is smooth and easy. I think it'd be disingenuous if I told you I didn't like it, just because it's a big part of who I am. I get feedback that I sound different. I love my accent. I like me, so I like my accent. I'm proud of who I am, so if I've got a great twang, I will own it 100%. Corbett says the documentary is the result of three years of research on Arkansas accents and dialects with willing subjects from the Delta to the Ozarks. Here are three recordings housed in the International Dialects of English Archive of residents reading the same text about a 20th century veterinary nurse who's taken a new job in a new place, starting with a 77-year-old Loanoke native. On her first morning, she felt stressed. She ate a bowl of porridge, checked herself in the mirror, and washed her face in a hurry. Then she put on a plain yellow dress and a fleece jacket, picked up her kit, and headed for work. The subject says Mira in yellow. Here's a second subject, a 43-year-old Forest City native. On her first morning, she felt stressed. She ate a bowl of porridge. She checked herself in the mirror and washed her face. Then she put on a plain yellow dress and a fleece jacket, picked up her kit, and headed for work. Instead of stressed, she says stressed. Instead of kit, she says kit. The third subject is a young man from Pine Bluff. On her first morning, she felt stressed. She had a bowl of porridge, checked herself in the mirror, and washed her face in a hurry. Then she put on a plain yellow dress and a fleece jacket, picked up her kit, and headed for work. Instead of bowl, he says bowl. Instead of work, he says work. All of these accents are rich and distinct. Ben Corbett says. Especially from this state's history and uh, the people who either chose to come here, had to come here, or were forced to come here, people brought the accents they were from. Including Southern African-American vernacular English. East Arkansas was settled predominantly by French and Spanish colonialists, Ozarks colonial settlers, who migrated from Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Virginia, traced their ancestry back to places including the British Isles, Germany, and Italy. And now new accents are emerging, Corbett says, brought by new migrants. We have a huge influx of native Mexicans coming to our town and coming to the area. Well, they bring their culture and with them, they bring an accent. So what happens when people with that background, what if they have children here? Those children are from Arkansas now. Is that an Arkansas accent? 
Is it? Could it be? If not, why not? And what's an Arkansas accent anyway if we say no? So I, my, I posit that sometimes our acceptance of accents may determine on whether we accept the person speaking it. He's referring to accent bias or prejudice towards people based on the sound of someone's speech. Everybody has an accent because everyone is from somewhere. And you don't have to sound a certain way to be smart. But even Corbett was surprised by a Vietnamese migrant from Fort Smith who speaks with a strong southern accent. And who says, I feel very much that I'm from here. This is my home. And spoke with a very clear Arkansas accent. But what he looks might may not be what we associate with. Arkansas children, including immigrant and migrant children, may grow up speaking differently than their parents. And that can be attributed to a majority of Americans now speaking what's referred to as general American or standard American, a non-regional accent. So does this mean we're losing our ancestral accents? Are we losing it? I don't think we're losing it, but we may be losing what we've been taught it is or what it was based on the majority of people who have lived here. Now that's changing. So I think we need to be ready for change. Corbett examines these realms in his new documentary short, Arkansas Accent Project. The film will premiere at Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival on Wednesday, October 11th, and will be shown at Fayetteville Film Festival on October 14th at the Pryor Center. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Corbett's film was selected to screen at the Fayetteville Film Festival this year. The film is one of eight documentary shorts that was selected. The festival begins on Thursday the 12th and takes place across three venues in downtown Fayetteville. You can find all the details at FayettevilleFilmFest.org. KUAF listeners, we want you to join us at Black Apple in downtown Springdale for a KUAF member appreciation gathering taking place Friday the 13th. We'll celebrate our listeners and give you a chance to show off your knowledge of NPR and Northwest Arkansas trivia. Many more details soon. Right now, make plans to be with us at Black Apple on Friday, October 13th from 6 until 8. Ahead on today's show, Rex Nelson thinks he may have coined a phrase when referring to the continued growth in northwest Arkansas. The boom is getting boomier, (laughs) but uh, that was the only word I could come up with because we've been writing about the northwest Arkansas boom, of course, for several decades now. We hear more of his conversation with Roby Brock in about five minutes on today's show. Arnold Schwarzenegger has been a champion bodybuilder, a Hollywood action hero, and governor of California. Yet he can't quite shake his father's voice in his head, telling him to be useful. Why are you lifting those dumbbells and barbells? Don't you think it would be better to just go out and chop some wood? Schwarzenegger talks about his book, Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life, on the next morning edition from NPR News. NPR's morning edition, tomorrow morning from 5 to 9. The city of Fayetteville has issued a restoration plan for Lake Fayetteville. The plan was made in partnership with outside water quality consultants and funded by money from the American Rescue Plan. The public is currently barred from swimming in Lake Fayetteville. Ted Jack, park planning superintendent for the city, that's because of algal blooms. We're getting a lot of blooms because in the summer the water course heats up and there's a lot of sunlight and there's a lot of, you know, kind of natural fertilizers and also fertilizers from humans that get in the lake, which kind of help the uh, blooms go beyond 
what they normally would. Fertilizer and phosphorus applied on lawns and farm fields around the lake all contribute to excess algae. Olson Engineers, headquartered in Fayetteville, conducted the year-long $200,000 study. Findings were presented last month to the Environmental Action Committee, including short- and long-term solutions. One of the methods, um, and probably one of the more economical ones, was to use alum, which is a, a kind of powder that can be put into the lake, and it goes down to the bottom, and it locks up the phosphorus, which there's an overabundance of phosphorus, which is causing, you know, a lot of uh, the blooms that we're having. So that would help uh, with water quality. I think that was one of the most efficient ones. Along with aluminum sulfate applications, mesh bags of biochar placed in the water column, and mechanical aeration could work to cleanse the lake. Construction and erosion have clogged Lake Fayetteville, so strategic dredging is recommended, with a plan to reuse the soil dredged up to construct wetlands. The plan also suggests planting shrubs and trees to stabilize stream banks and absorb excess phosphorus. Jack says improving Lake Fayetteville for recreational use has been a long-term goal. It's not an easy thing to accomplish, but uh, boy, it sure would be great if we could utilize it that way. Just a lot of different ways that it, that it could be used for recreation, like uh, triathlons and so forth. The water quality implementation plan is expected to be presented to the city council soon. The Arkansas Climbers Coalition is hosting a public meetup to celebrate a new climbing area at Springdale's Fitzgerald Mountain this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Coalition Vice President Andrew Bland says he's excited for climbers to discover this new urban climbing destination. We've been working on opening the place up to climbers for over a year now. It's finally open to the public. People are going out there and enjoying climbing, so we just wanted to put together a day for the climbing community to get together, hang out, climb, and just enjoy this new resource that rock climbers and outdoor recreationalists have in northwest Arkansas. Bland says Fitzgerald is particularly unique because of its proximity to downtown Springdale. It's an urban crag and there really are not that many urban crags even around the country and this one is Pretty amazing. I mean, by far the best urban crag in this part of the country. The coalition will provide food and beverages, but no gear or instruction will be available. All climbers must secure and bring both their own climbing equipment and belay partners for the event. You can visit their website or social media for more information about the event and membership details. A fourth candidate has thrown their hat into the ring to be the next Supreme Court Chief Justice in Arkansas. North Little Rock Attorney Jay Martin announced he plans to seek the seat up for election in 2024. The other three candidates who have announced their runs for Chief Justice are currently on the state Supreme Court. Justice Karen Baker, Justice Barbara Webb, and Justice Rhonda Wood. Martin is a former Democratic legislator and House Majority Leader. He told Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics, that he's running for the position because he is concerned about partisanship in the judicial branch. All elected judicial offices, including Supreme Court Chief Justice, are nonpartisan positions. State health officials say the first case of locally acquired malaria has been identified in Arkansas. A news release from the Arkansas Department of Health says the person resides in Saline County and has not traveled out of the county. This comes after a number of other locally acquired malaria cases have been identified in Florida, Texas, and Maryland. 
Malaria is a potentially fatal disease, which is spread by infected mosquitoes. The health department says five other malaria cases have been identified in Arkansas this year, but all were the result of international travel. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Commercial vacancy rose less than one percentage point to 6.4% over the past year in Northwest Arkansas, and that jump could be attributed to a rise in warehouse space. That's according to the latest Skyline report. Arvest Bank released the biannual report on Tuesday. The bank sponsors the research that's done by the Center for Business and Economic Research at the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. As far as commercial building activity goes, the total value of commercial building permits issued in Northwest Arkansas during the first six months this year was $193.9 million. That is down 34% compared with the same period of 2022. You can find that report and some analysis of the findings on our website at nwabusinessjournal.com. There's more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. In a recent interview with Roby Brock, Rex Nelson, who is a senior editor for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, discussed strong areas of the state that are experiencing economic success. Naturally, that conversation started with a look at how things are going in northwest Arkansas. Take a listen. All right, let's turn our attention to Northwest Arkansas, also one of the fastest growing markets uh, in the United States. You've written a lot recently because you did some in-depth interviews up there with a lot of people. Kind of give everybody an overview of what you wrote about and where you sense Northwest Arkansas is now versus where it was 10 years ago and what you see on the horizon for Northwest. Well, I'm, I may have coined a word when I wrote in my column, the boom is getting boomier. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 that was the only word I could come up with because we've been writing about the Northwest Arkansas boom, of course, for several decades now. But if anything, that is accelerating. I mean, you go, you start ticking things off. I mean, Walmart building a corporate campus of more than $1 billion. It's going to be like anything we've seen in this part of the country. At the same time, we will then, after that, see the Walton family redevelop the old home office location. They haven't released any details, but you know it's going to be spectacular, whatever they do there. Crystal Bridges, already one of the great art museums in the world, adding another 100 
1,000 square feet of exhibition space. Alice Walton now about to open her own medical school and the whole health institute and millions of dollars by all the medical systems up there being made in at the same time. This is all coming at once. Uh, in fact, Roby, and I, you and I may have talked about this before, but I think we have gotten almost so jaded to the continual growth in Northwest Arkansas that when Tyson made the announcement that it was bringing all of its white collar employees into Arkansas, I think that was probably underplayed. I mean, that's a thousand new white collar employees. That is the equivalent of a Fortune 500 company moving its corporate headquarters to Arkansas. Yeah. So you have all this going on at once. It's kind of mind boggling. And of course, now they have to tackle the issues that come with that. Yeah. And that's first and foremost, affordable housing. Uh, housing, infrastructure, mm -hmm. amenities. I mean, you gotta have a lot. And just the service industry to keep up with that kind of influx of population as well. Do you sense from your reporting up there that that, that is something that will be accomplished successfully, or do you think they will struggle with that, uh, with, I, I with the ability to have to keep up with the, the major growth? I think you always struggle some, but I, I, the thing that I felt confident in and talking to a lot of people, and I attended the annual meeting of the Northwest Arkansas Council, is that the best minds up there are now working on this housing issue. You know, in its early days, I went into some of the history when I wrote about the council. You know, it was focused on getting an airport and getting an interstate highway, which they succeeded in yeah. and led to the growth we're coming now. Now the focus is on things like affordable housing. So you have the Northwest Arkansas Council. You have the Heartland Institute, which is a great think tank that a lot of Arkansans aren't familiar with, but it's based right there in Northwest Arkansas. So you have all those great minds focused on the issue at least. It's not as if they're ignoring it and pretending that it's going to go away. Do you feel Central Arkansas is pulling together in a way to capitalize on potential growth as well? Um, not to the extent that Northwest Arkansas is, but I, I think people are starting to wake up and say, hey, there's something happening in Central Arkansas too. I mean, I invite anybody to head east out of Little Rock, take the Galloway exit, past the Amazon distribution center and see the hundreds of acres that are being cleared for new distribution centers for Lowe's and companies such as that. And there are more on the way. I mean, Dollar General, Tractor Supply, and I think more announcements will be coming on top of that. It, it really amazing after Amazon picked this as kind of a, a regional location and now have about 5,000 employees in central Arkansas other companies are coming, and Central Arkansas is exploding as a distribution and warehousing location. And that's Arkansas Democrat Gazette Senior Editor Rex Nelson. And if you like that interview, you need to be watching Talk Business and Politics with Roby Brock. It airs each Sunday morning at 9.30 on Fox 24 News. In other news this week, the group working to bring professional soccer to Northwest Arkansas has released the initial renderings of a stadium it plans to build near Pinnacle Hills Promenade in Rogers. USL Arkansas officials say that by the end of the year or early next year, design work should be completed and large-scale development plans submitted to the city. Specialty retailer Dick's Sporting Goods is investing in Northwest Arkansas 
Company officials said this week they'll open an outlet store in Fayetteville's Fiesta Square Shopping Center later this month. You can look for that in the space formerly occupied by Hastings. This will not be a traditional Dick's Sporting Goods store. The Fayetteville location will feature discounted items with savings up to 70% off of retail. And a Springdale teacher received a big surprise this week when he was presented with the prestigious Milken Educator Award. Michael Tapey, a math and science teacher at Helstern Middle School, was presented the award at an all-school assembly that included local and state officials, including Governor Sarah Sanders and the award's namesake, Lowell Milken. The recognition includes a $25,000 cash prize. For all of those stories and more, be sure and visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. I am in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio with none other than Timothy Dennis. Timothy, it's been a while since you and I have done a tunes together. Excited to uh, to talk some music with you. Yeah, it's probably been months at the very least. It has. It has. Uh, let's jump right in. Let's Tonight, do it. Tonight, or today really, the annual Hillberry Festival kicks off over in Eureka Springs. That's right. Yes, we'll have a giveaway on oh. the show tomorrow for tickets. Excellent. If you already have tickets, tonight's headliners include... Keller Grass with the Hillbenders, Kitchen Dwellers, and our favorites here at the show, Arkansas. Arkansas. Uh, tomorrow, headliners include Leftover Salmon, Moe, and Fireside Collective. Mm-hmm. Saturday, headliners are Opal Agafia, Neil Francis, Here Come the Mummies, Sickert Hollow, and Railroad Earth. And Sunday, headliners are Sad Daddy, Elephant Revival, Railroad Earth Again, The Sensational Barnes Brothers, and Blurred Name. All righty. Single-day tickets start at $75, and they go up from there. Happens all weekend out at the farm in Eureka Springs. All righty. Okay, let's move ahead to tomorrow night. At Smoke and Barrel Tavern here in Fayetteville, they're going to have kind of a pop rock show featuring the band's Idol Valley, a local fuzz pop band, Mm -hmm. and the band Midnight Wagon, which is a local rock band. That is a free show. Starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Smoke and Barrel Tavern in Fayetteville. Yeah. Happening up at the Momentary in Bentonville tomorrow night, they're going to have a show featuring the artist Rena Sawayama. Tickets are $40. That show gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Momentary in Bentonville. Happening over in Rogers tomorrow night, the Walmart Amp is going to have an EDM show featuring the band Odessa. Yeah.
Tickets start at $25, and that starts at 6.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Walmart Amp in Rogers. Over in Eureka Springs tomorrow night, the Gravel Bar is going to have Kansas City-based singer-songwriter Amanda Huey in the house. That show starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. And then still in Eureka Springs tomorrow night, the New Delhi Cafe is going to have local songwriter Dominic B. Roy in the house. Well, Airbnbs keep flowing in like waterfalls. You can rent them by the weekend for a nominal cost. But the people that keep moving here, they come from all playing with a trio. That show starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at New Delhi Cafe in Eureka Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday night, JJ's Live in Fayetteville is going to have Chris Renzima on stage. He's mm-hmm. a Nashville-based songwriter. Yeah. If you're still listening to me There's only one thing that I need now Oh, at a night have mercy on me. Tickets are $20 in advance. Go up to $25 at the door. Starts at 7.30 Saturday night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. Happening at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville Saturday night, some friends of Ozarks at Large are going to be performing. The Buddy Shoot Motivator Trio. Yes. A voice inside me. So fun to listen to. That show gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at 612 Coffee House in West Fayetteville. Meteor Guitar Gallery up in Bentonville Saturday night is going to have Higher Arkies in the house. They're a local grunge pop band. Navigate rough waters and try to That show gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Then moving on to Sunday, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have modeling on stage. Yeah. show as well fantastic they're joined on that bill by the band chrono wizard covers ten dollars starts at eight o'clock sunday night again that's at george's in fayetteville over in eureka springs sunday afternoon really got a whole brewing is going to have the band mason jar revival on stage mm-hmm. they're an eastern oklahoma southern rock red dirt band
That show starts at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, again, at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Then down in Fort Smith, Sunday night, they're going to have a blues and guitar great on stage, Tab Benoit. Yes. Joined on that bill by Anthony Rosano and the Conqueroos, which is a great name. That's such a good band name. Tickets for that show start at $30. That starts at 8 o'clock Sunday night again. That's at Temple Live in Fort Smith. $30 to see Tab and Wong. Yeah. Oh, the next show I'm going to tell you about is probably just as good. Tuesday night, blues and guitar great Eric Johnson is going to be at George's Majestic Lounge. In oh, okay. Hells yeah. it over. Woo! Yeah, he he's one of my childhood heroes. Yes. Tickets are $35 in advance, go up to $38 at the door. Starts at 8 o'clock Tuesday night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Eric Johnson is one of those people who, if you're an aspiring guitar player, you listen to that, and then you try to play it, and you realize you're never going to be as good. No, there's only Eric one Johnson. Eric Johnson, <laughs> just like there was only one Stevie Ray, That's right, etc. JJ's live in Fayetteville Tuesday night. They're going to have a metal show featuring the bands Cradle of Filth and Devil Driver. Mm-hmm. Tickets are $33.50 in advance, scoped $38 at the door. That show starts at about 6 o'clock Tuesday night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in Fayetteville. And that takes care of us for the next week or so. Of course, we'll have more shows listed at our website, OzarksAtLarge.com. That's right. Timothy Dennis, thanks so much. Thank you. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, an art exhibit. On the University of Arkansas's campus, celebrating National Hispanic Heritage Month. The sueños element, the dreams, that's what brings us together. That's what weaves us together because we are only here because of our ancestors' dreams. That's what I wanted people to think about when they walk into the gallery, to reflect on how are you honoring your ancestors' dreams and how are you manifesting your own. Ozarks at Large's Victoria Hernandez speaks with some of the creators involved in sueños. That's tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter. 
Reopen Sound Perimeter today with Fixed Heartbeat. A piece for piano and electronics by New York City-based Iranian composer Nilufar Nurbaksh. From her bio, quote, composer, pianist, laptopist Nilufar Nurbaksh is grateful to live and work as an artist in collaboration with different people in the world through different mediums and forms. The inspiration for her compositions can vary from a single moment of joy and laughter to intense political situations that shadow millions of people. Community is central to her existence and artistic process. She is grateful for having multiple artistic families, including the Iranian Female Composers Association, IFCA, Emrus Festival, and Ensemble Decipher. Her name in Persian means a water lily that gives light. Fix Heartbeat is a piece for piano and live electronics, a metaphor for life itself and our searching attempt to get somewhere portrayed through a repeated rhythmic motif, ascending melodies in the piano and random elements in the electronic track. Let us continue listening to this excerpt performed by the composer herself in the piano from a 2017 live performance at Stony Brook University.
Orquesta's Fix Heartbeat, a piece for piano and live electronics by New York City-based Iranian composer Nilofar Nurbaksh. She is currently co-artistic director of Peabody Conservatory Laptop Orchestra and teaches composition at Longia School of Music of Bard College. Nilufar also regularly performs with her ensemble, Decipher. Find more about this extraordinary composer in our show notes. This next piece is a treat. Maracaibo for String Quartet was written by American cellist, composer, and educator Eugene Friesen. Maracaibo is a vivacious and rhythmic piece inspired by traditional Venezuelan music. Let us listen to the Four Corners String Quartet, an ensemble formed in 2013 at the Berklee College of Music in Boston in this dynamic performance that brings forward the interpreter's own identities and musical influences from a 2014 live performance at the Red Room Cafe 939 in Boston. Thank you. 
That was the Four Corners Quartet featuring violinist Leith Alrubaye from Jordan and Ellen Melissa's story from the USA, Elise Nicholas from the UK in the viola, and cello player Nazim Alatraj from Palestine, performing Maracaibo, a piece for string quartet by Eugene Fraser. Today in San Panimeter, we feature music and musicians from different corners of the world, a rich tapestry of diverse sounds, rhythms, and identities that reflect unique cultures, histories, and searchers for the meaning of life. I hope you are inspired by this music that transcends boundaries and offers a language that unites people from all walks of life through our shared human experiences. This is Leah Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connections to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. I'll see you soon. This is Ozarks at Large. Maureen Corrigan, the longtime book critic for NPR's Fresh Air, visited Little Rock over the weekend to speak at the Six Bridges Book Festival. Little Rock Public Radio's Josie Lenora sat down with Corrigan to talk about her approach to criticism and how she keeps up with the near constant barrage of books ready to be reviewed. Pre-COVID, physically, I would get at least 200 a week delivered to my front porch. Most of them advanced review copies, but some of them finished copies. And now I pretty much have to request the physical book um, if I want that. What percentage of books would you say that you put down? Um, there are some weeks where I, I have put down four books and, um, and we're coming up against a deadline. And <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I got to stay up all night and read something else. Maybe generously a third. I mean, of those 200 that, that you know, theoretically I still get, you know, a lot of them I, I immediately dismiss because they're self-help books or, you know, stuff that, you know, once I got, the illustrated history of the Smith and Wesson handgun, and you know that wasn't really going to be a book for fresh air. <laughs> like I, what? Sometimes I'll start reading, and right away I'll say, eh, "This this really sucks." It's you know the language is hackneyed. It's full of cliches. The characters seem thin, especially if it's fiction. You've said before that sometimes what attracts you to a book is the cover of the book. What would attract you to an ebook that you've been sent? Um, I, the the pitch, you know, what is it about? Is it not the nine thousandth vampire book? You know, um, is it if it's a dystopian novel? Is there some other angle to it? I just reviewed um, C. Pam Zhang's Land of Milk and Honey, which is a, a dystopian novel, but it's it the premise was so fresh. It was about 
a chef who's hired to cook elaborate meals in this mountain retreat in Italy where an Elon Musk type mogul has retreated with some other wealthy people because that's still a place where the sun shines and maybe they can grow some crops, you know, because smog blankets the earth. And, and I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting to kind of weld the, you know, the cooking narrative with um, this dystopian narrative. I saw a piece where you talked about the first children's librarian, Ann Carol Moore. You said she made a fatal flaw as a book critic by telling a book what it should be. How do you as a book critic walk that line? I really think that there's a difference between liking a book and thinking that it's good. You know, most times when you're reading a book you recognize as being good in some way, whether, you know, the characters are deeply developed or the psychological situation or it's uh, one of those books like the Covenant of Water, where you know the plot is so intricate that you're kind of dazzled by it. Most of those times, when you recognize that it's a good book, I would say, you know, I I like the book. But there are certain books that um, maybe the subject is really tough emotionally to 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 read about, especially if it's anything to do with abuse or. It's not particularly my world, and it's, and you know, like sci-fi. I really have a hard time um, loving sci-fi, liking sci-fi. Are there tropes in fiction that you're sick of? I am a little sick of dystopian stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm just because it's such a downer, and we live with it, you know? <laughs> I think, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, this, it, I'm not sick of it because it ju- it's just happened, but I do notice trends, of course, especially in fiction. This year, it seemed like there were a lot of novels, you know, statistically speaking, like maybe six, that were set in Golden Age Hollywood. Academic, the academic force seems to be coming back a, a, a bit. Uh, there's a great novel I reviewed last year, The Life of the Mind. Somehow they're often set in English departments because, <laughs> because probably the most eccentric characters dwell there. That was Fresh Air book critic Maureen Corrigan speaking with Little Rock Public Radio's Josie Lenora. The two spoke ahead of Corrigan's talk last weekend at the Six Bridges Book Festival in downtown Little Rock. This is Ozarks at Large, a production of KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Tolu. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Jack Travis, Paul Gatling, Leah Uribe, and Josie Lenora. Additional help today from our friends at Little Rock Public Radio. Timothy produced today's show in the Herald and Blanche Cock News Studio. I'll be with you tomorrow for a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, be well. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next time. Community Creative Center presents Pottery on the Patio this Saturday, October 7, 3.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Walton Arts Center's Nadine Baum Studio. It features pottery wheel and watercolor sessions. Guests can enjoy complimentary ice cream, live music from Funk Factory, and hands-on art activities. More at communitycreativecenter.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season with Haunted Harmonies, a Halloween concert Saturday, October 28th at Walden Arts Center. Performing under the baton of guest conductor Lawrence Lowe, symphony musicians will play iconic selections from popular movies like Jaws, Bride of Frankenstein, Harry Potter, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and more. Tickets and information at sonamusic.org. Arkansas Community Foundation has a vision for communities in Arkansas to become the places your kids will want to raise their kids. 
by strategically funding local nonprofits, ARCF provides not only resources, insight, and inspiration, but also a statewide impact to build better communities. More at ARCF.org.